Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Before we get started, I want to talk to you about sleep. I wanted you to talk to you about this one phase of sleep that nearly everybody fails to get enough of. I even struggle with it sometimes. This one phase of sleep is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation, repair, controlling hunger, weight loss hormones, boosting energy, and so much more. I'm talking, of course, most of you will know as biohackers, deep sleep. And let me tell you, not getting enough of this crucial phase of sleep can wreak havoc on your life. It's like a never-ending battle with cravings, a sluggish metabolism, and even premature aging. Feel like I'm talking about you? So here's why. Why? Why are most people missing out on this crucial phase? Well, one major factor is magnesium deficiency, which affects over 80% of the population. But here's the thing. Magnesium is a game changer when it comes to sleep. It boosts GABA, which promotes relaxation on a cellular level, and that's a huge deal for a good night rest. So before you rush off to buy a magnesium supplement, you need to know that most of those products out there have only one or two forms of magnesium. But it turns out that your body needs all seven forms of this essential sleep mineral, which is why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. It's also why I use it personally and recommend it to all my clients. Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help calm your mind, help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. The deep sleep benefits are really noticeable. Visit magbreakthrough.com forward slash bionat and order now. And in addition to the discount you get by using promo code bionat10, there's always amazing gifts with purchase. And that's also why I love shopping at Bioptimizers. So just go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash bionat, use code bionat10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out what this month gift with purchase is. Okay, let's talk about this episode. Can you imagine unlocking the secret to longevity through a powerful compound that was discovered on a remote island almost by accident? In this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast, we chat with Dr. Ross Pelton, a renowned scientist and author about rapamycin, a compound with untold potential for revolutionizing health and extending life. Those of you in the medical profession might know it as a, an immune suppressant, but it turns out that it may have altogether different benefits for us used differently. Together, we trace rapamycin's fascinating history from its origins on Easter Island to its current potential as a life-extending compound, delving into its dual mechanisms, mTOR and autophagy, for a fresh outlook on cellular metabolism and the aging process. Ross Pelton is a pharmacist, nutritionist, author, and a health educator who is widely recognized as the world's leading authority on drug-induced nutrient depletions. He was named one of the top 50 most influential pharmacists in the U.S. by American Druggist Magazine for his work in natural medicine. Okay, to learn more about and connect with Dr. Ross Pelton, you can go to naturalpharmacist.net. To get your hands on his book on rapamycin, all you have to do is call Life Extension at number 1-866-598-6747, and you can get his, your hands on his book. Now, if you don't want to make a phone call, you can get it on Amazon, but if you do that, make sure that you get the second edition and not the first edition. And we talk in the episode about how to get your hands on rapamycin 
if you decide to do that or wrap a pro. And to do that, you'll need to use code longevity15 when you go to the anti-aging store. Okay, one last thing before we jump into the episode. In case you're feeling a bit peckish, if you're looking for a protein pack snack that is easy to grab on the go, listen up. I recently came across Paleo Valley Beef Sticks and turkey sticks, and they have quickly become one of my go-to snacks. These sticks are made for 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, so they are the real deal. Unlike many others on the market that claim to be grass-fed, Paleo Valley sticks are not secretly finished on grains, or at least the cows that are t- they're taken from are not finished on grains. They take pride in sourcing their beef from small domestic farms right in the United States. They also use real organic spices, so no more worrying about conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or those natural flavors that nobody really knows what they are, derived from questionable GMO corn. So whether you're following a keto lifestyle or simply seeking a protein-rich snack, these beef sticks have you covered. To try them for yourself, just head over to paleovalley.com forward slash Natalie, and that's Natalie with an H, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E, to save 15% off your entire order. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Dr. Ross Pelton, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. It's really a pleasure to have time with you and, and your listeners and your viewers. Yeah, well, that's right. They're all of the above, right? It was Neil Burchette from Profound Health who introduced us. And whenever I get an email from Neil with a guest suggestion, I my ears perk up because anybody who he knows generally, him between him and Phil Mikens, these guys are so well connected. And, and so all they had to say was Ross Pelton and... Rapamycin. And I was like, I'm in. Just tell me when and where to be. I'm I'm all in. So rapamycin is, and I mean, it's only one of your many passions, as we talked about. But today we're going to be a little disciplined and we're going to stick to rapamycin. We might do a sidestep into the microbiome, but what got you interested in rapamycin? Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, I, I got introduced to rapamycin when I attended a life extension conference in Las Vegas uh, about five years ago or so. And so I, I just had it on my radar and because I'm interested in everything related to health and anti-aging and life extension, I started following it. And as I looked deeper into it, um, I found out that there are thousands and thousands of scientific papers written and published on rapamycin and mTOR and autophagy, but nobody written a book about it to explain it to the general public. And I'm an author. I, the rapamycin book is my 12th book. And so my interest in rapamycin shifted from an interest level to an obsession. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, lucky us. so that's, I just hold myself up for about six months and just poured over thousands and thousands of papers and talked to all the experts and, and wrote a book that is really kind of a, uh, it covers the whole range of mm-hmm. the history and the background and dosing and the animal experiments and the controversies about it. And and it's my book accelerates the learning curve for anybody that's interested in rapamycin. A lot of people will give my book to their physician. 
to mm-hmm. educate their physician to get them to write a prescription for rapamycin for them. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what it is. It's the it's the primary source if anybody wants to get on a learning curve for rapamycin. Yeah. No. And you know what, what's great about there's a lot of great things about your book. Quite apart from the fact that it's it's very thorough, is that it's an easy read, right? It's not a slog. And it's not super long, and yet it's full of information. One of the things I say about myself in my bio is that I'm bilingual. My two languages are English and science. And I can talk about the science so that non-scientific people can understand it. Some people get um, kind of intimidated by seeing new terms like mTOR and autophagy. And my response is, do you speak English? You know, read my book and I explain these things four or five times. You'll get to understand what they are and why they are important. And they will be new terms in your vocabulary that you are really happy to know about. Love it. So you just mentioned the three-legged stool here, the trifecta, the the rapamycin, the mTOR, and autophagy. So maybe let's let's define those three for the audience who may not be familiar. I mean, at this point, I think mTOR, autophagy for sure. There's a reasonable yeah. number of people. And then we're going to talk a little bit about mTOR syndrome, your, sure, your sure, phrase. Sure. But let's start by maybe highlight, giving people a, a grounding in those three concepts. So I, right at the beginning of my book, I say there are two main topics in my book. One is rapamycin, which is this new drug, which is literally the most effective life extension drug that's ever been discovered, getting anywhere from 20 to 60% life extension in multiple different animal models. But then there's autophagy and mTOR, which in my mind is really more important Mm -hmm. than the drug rapamycin itself, because understanding mTOR and autophagy has provided us with a total new understanding of cellular metabolism and health and the aging process. So I'll get into that secondarily. First, let's start with rapamycin. Um, The history of rapamycin goes back to 1966 when a group of Canadian scientists made a scientific expedition to Easter Island. And the purpose of that scientific expedition was to find sources of new potential antifungal and antibiotic drugs. So they took a lot of soil samples and one of the soil samples contained this compound rapamycin that's produced by a strain of soil bacteria. So one of the things I like to emphasize is this is not some exotic compound Mm -hmm. that a pharmaceutical company has made that nature has never seen before. This is something that occurs naturally in nature. And the indigenous people's name for Easter Island is Rapa Nui. So they named the drug rapamycin. Okay. So research started on it as an antifungal drug. And then it was discovered that it suppresses the immune system. So all that research came to a screaming halt. But in September of 1996, the FDA approved rapamycin for treatment for people who get kidney transplants because people who get organ transplants need to stay on immune suppressing drugs for the rest of their life so their body doesn't reject their new organ. Samples of rapamycin were sent off to the National Cancer Institute and they went crazy over it because it's a totally new type of chemotherapy. Most chemotherapy is what we call cytotoxic. It kills rapidly dividing cells, but you have rapidly dividing cells in the lining of your gastrointestinal tract and your bone marrow. And so that's where all the side effects come from. Rapamycin is not cytotoxic, it's cytostatic. It stops cancer growth without all those side effects. Okay. 
So in the early 2000s, rapamycin got FDA approval for treating several different types of solid tumor cancers. Now here's the big but. These FDA approvals have proven to be a hindrance to get life ex- uh, rapamycin accepted as a life extension drug because sure. you, doctors usually, usually don't prescribe chemotherapy or immune suppressing drugs to people who are life extension enthusiasts. But the big breakthrough came uh, a lady by the name of Joan Manick was working at Novartis, one of the big multinational drug companies, and she had the enviable position of being able to research anything she wanted. And she was interested in aging, and she got interested in rapamycin. So she designed a human clinical trial with a group of people that were between the ages, I believe, 60 and 80, thereabouts. They were elderly people. Yeah. She divided them into four groups. There's a placebo group, one group getting 0.5 milligrams of rap. It wasn't actually rapamycin. It was a rapalog, another rapamycin-like compound that has virtually the same effects of rapamycin. But 0.5 milligrams once a week, excuse me, 0.5 milligrams daily, 5 milligrams once a week, 20 milligrams once a week. They all were on either the placebo or one of these dosages of the drug for, I believe, 12 weeks. Then she stopped. There was a two-week washout period. And then she subjected all of the participants to the seasonal flu vaccine and did blood work to measure how their immune system responded to that challenge. The people taking five milligrams once a week, that was the sweet spot. Those people got about a 20% boost in the effectiveness of their immune response. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal for people that are elderly to boost their immune system to that degree. But the the real importance of the Joan Manick study is that first it identified that rapamycin is beneficial for humans. Mm -hmm. And it also identified that taking it episodically, five milligrams once a week, instead of every single day, the way people take it for chemotherapy or immune system uh, rejection or preventing rejection, that's that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. So why is it once a week is beneficial, but daily is going to be suppression of the immune system? This gets into the next part of our discussion, which is mTOR and autophagy. Mm -hmm. So first I'll describe and explain mTOR. mTOR is an enzyme inside all cells that senses when nutrients are available. And when nutrients are available, mTOR sends out signals to the cell. It says, use those signals to build and grow. New proteins, new enzymes, new cellular components. The other side of the equation is autophagy. And Japanese scientists won the Nobel Prize in 2016, fairly Mm -hmm. recent, for his discovery of autophagy. And autophagy gets activated when no nutrients are available to the cell. And so when no nutrients are available, autophagy gets activated. And autophagy is the process when cells are able to target old, damaged, misfolded proteins and enzymes and other cellular components and break them down and either get them out of the cell, which is detoxification of cells, or utilize the individual components to build healthy new proteins and healthy new enzymes. And Back over to mTOR for a second. The reason it's called mTOR, when rapamycin gets absorbed across the cellular membrane and binds to this enzyme, 
they, they, they named it mTOR because that stands for the mechanistic target of rapamycin. So it's just the name they gave to this enzyme that rapamycin binds to. Interesting. Now, the next part of the story is critically important for people to understand about health and longevity. For 99.9% .9 of human evolution, mTOR and autophagy were in balance. These days, most people alive today are significantly out of balance. Yeah. And I think it's a fundamental problem that is causing health problems and acceleration of biological aging. People ask me, well, what, do you, what kind of health problems? We are facing an epidemic of epidemics. We've got an epidemic of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, Alzheimer's disease, autism, off the charts. Mm -hmm. 50, 60 years ago when I was a kid, none of these were an epidemic. The health of mankind, humanity, is going down the tubes. Yeah. Really, we've got serious health problems. And I think that this mTOR autophagy is, is such a fundamental process of cellular metabolism. I think it's one of the primary contributors. There's, there's lots of things that contribute to bad health, but I think this yeah. is a fundamental mechanism and it's actionable. Think People can do something about this. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if we consider that autophagy is cleaning up, taking out the trash, exactly. recycling what you can recycle. If you can just do that, and to do that, you have to pause growth. You stop growing, you clean up, you take out the trash. Exactly. Now you go back to building some stuff because you have things to build with and whatnot. And, you know, to toggle between the two, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about, which I'm sure is what you're getting to now, you, got, you talk about mTOR syndrome in your book which is essentially this world where people are stuck in feast. There's never any famine. There's never any, and exactly. there's never any pulse. And it's interesting that you mentioned that at the beginning with rapamycin, that the sweet spot is a pulse of rapamycin once a week versus this chronic exposure. And we're seeing this repeated in so many areas, right? Yeah. Yep. Chronic stress is a killer, yeah. but a pulse of stress at the right, of, of stress at the right time is what you need. Inflammation. You yeah. need a pulse of inflammation, not chronic inflammation. So, you Balance know, this is, is it's almost like a law of nature, right? Balance yeah. is everything. Yeah. In fact, some scientists are saying that rapamycin is improperly categorized as an immunosuppressive drug. It's an immunomodulator. Yeah. And so that's what it's doing when you pulse it. You're, you're, you partially inhibit mTOR and give autophagy time to start to function. So how and why did the mTOR autophagy ratio get so out of whack? And in fact, this is such an important topic. In the second edition of my book, it motivated me to postulate the mTOR autophagy theory of aging. Mm, love it. So, so I mentioned that for 99.9% .9 of human evolution, for hundreds of thousands of years, mTOR and autophagy were in balance. But... Why is it out of balance? Well, our ancestral humans did not get up in the morning and go to the kitchen and open the refrigerator <laughs> and start making breakfast. They didn't eat three meals a day. At best, they ate one meal a day and, and spent about four hours per day digesting their food. Sometimes they probably went two or three days without eating. They had to forage and for food. And when food is gone in one area, they got to pick up and move and find another place and start foraging for food. It was difficult and time-consuming, and so that's the difference. They, 
didn't eat all the time. They really probably, um, scientists speculate then for much of human evolution, uh, people ate once a day and spent about four hours per day digesting their food, meaning they went 20 hours without any nutrient intake Mm -hmm. and sometimes two or three days without nutrient intake. These days, food is available all the time everywhere. People eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, in between snacks, desserts, evening cocktails. So bedtime snacks, don't forget this is mTOR syndrome. (laughs) mTOR is always getting activated. The overactivation of mTOR and autophagy is not getting activated. And autophagy is the mechanism of detoxifying every cell in your body. But the other thing I try to get people to understand, autophagy is the rebuilding of your body. Mm-hmm. Because and initially, strength trainers and, and uh, weight trainers were concerned that maybe they shouldn't do rapamycin because it's inhibiting mTOR. And mTOR is growth. Yes. But what people need to realize is that before you can do that growth process, you need to have autophagy, which removes the damaged proteins and enzymes so that you can rebuild healthy new proteins and enzymes. So autophagy is critical for rebuilding your body. And I use the analogy of a flat tire on a car. Mm-hmm. You can't put that new tire on until you take the old tire off. Yeah. And Proteins are massive molecules. Some proteins have 20, 30,000 amino acids strung together and they're looped. And and the the shape of amino acids is its function. And there are little hydrogen bonds and sulfur-sulfur bonds between all the, the little twisting fibers of the proteins that hold them in its correct shape. But over time, stresses some of the bonds get broken and they start to lose its shape. The proteins are there, it's just not functioning very well. And so most people alive today are functioning with old dysfunctional proteins that are not providing optimal health and optimal function. So you've got to get autophagy going to be able to get rid of those old proteins and allow the body to rebuild healthy new proteins and healthy new enzymes. So that's the, the big message in my book, Beyond Rapamycin, the real importance of understanding mTOR and autophagy and getting these back in balance. How do you do this naturally? Intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. So Both is that enough? Long, do you yeah. think, do you think yeah, it's enough? For, if, a like, longer if, period of time without eating nutrients and condense your calories of the day into a smaller window of time. Most popular protocol is called the 816, yeah. where you maybe consume all your meals and in calorie intake between noon and 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then you go from 8 p.m. to noon the next day without any nutrient intake. That's 16 hours of fasting. And the health benefits are enormous if people start to do this. But most people aren't going to discipline themselves to fast. No. Rapamycin does it for you. I advocate doing everything that's health-oriented. So I do intermittent fasting, take rapamycin. There's several other different life extension drugs that people can take. Um, exercise regularly, eat healthy food, feed your microbiome. I mean, but but on the topic of today, it's rapamycin is really, it's a game changer. It is a revolutionary breakthrough in understanding how to achieve healthy longevity. It's not just life extension. It's increasing your health span as well as your lifespan. A hundred percent. Okay. So a couple of questions for you. So you mentioned athletes, weightlifters, 
And I know that there's a huge concern in the in in many circles about oh well if I shut off mTOR, I'm not going to make any muscle, and therefore rapamycin is a bad idea for someone who is an athlete. But you rightfully mentioned that if you don't take out the trash, if you don't get rid of those damaged proteins, you're not going to be able to build new ones. But right. so in terms of the way an athlete might use, might they use rapamycin a little differently in that they might do cycles of rapamycin during a, a cycle, a particular type of training. And then when they move into the type of training where they're in a more build phase, because a lot of training cycles might alternate between building and, and not building, might they then lay off the rapamycin during the building phase? Or do you think that that weekly pulse still leaves enough space for mTOR to be activated enough to, to build the muscle and not lose strength in that? Uh, great question. Yeah. I have two answers. Okay. <laughs> first question is maybe. Okay. The second, the second or first answer. And the second answer is I don't know. Okay. I mean, Interesting. the thing I want to emphasize here is this is really a new frontier. Okay. There is so much we need to learn. We don't know if five milligrams or six milligrams is the best dose, or maybe 10 milligrams is the best dose. We don't know if once a week is better, or maybe once every 10 days, or maybe once every two weeks. We, we need to learn all of this. And I'm sure that in several years, 10 years, we'll be able to individualize people's mm -hmm. doses and the frequency of people's doses. But right now, all we have to go on is the animal studies and a few of the human studies, like the Joan Manick study, identified that five milligrams once a week. So the majority of people who are taking rapamycin are taking five or six milligrams once a week. And that proven to be safe. In fact, a number of the top rapamycin scientists are saying that rapamycin, when it's taken episodically, is safer than things like Tylenol and ibuprofen. And those things are easily available over the counter these days. Yeah. So when it's used correctly, episodically, um, tremendous health benefits, every single cell in your body starts to work better when you start taking rapamycin. And it's not a miracle quick fix for anything. Yeah. Um, I tell people, if you've got bone on bone arthritis, rapamycin is not going to cure that. If you have a blood vessel with an aneurysm that's ready to pop, rapamycin is not going to stop that. But day by day, every single cell is going to work better and you're going to slow down the process of biological aging and you're there's a, a study that, that was published back in the 1960s, I think, by physician James Freeze. And he was highly criticized when he came out with this study, but now it's pretty well accepted. He talked about the rectangularization of the aging curve and the compression of morbidity. And basically, you think about the aging curve over here, when people are born, they have a high level of health. And then 10, 20, 30 years later, they gradually start to have health problems that decline towards down here at the end, that's 50, 60, 70, 80 years old when they're, they're dead. But if you rectangularize the aging curve, you go at a good health for a much longer time, and then you compress morbidity into a very small nice. period at the end of life. And that's what life extension 
and anti-aging science and technology is all about. Yeah, it's health span. Yeah. yeah, and you just fall off the cliff one day and then you're done. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, lie down and don't wake up the next morning. And But the day before, maybe you played uh, a round of golf or something. Yeah, no, for sure. I know. I think that's a great concept. You know, going back to the athlete, I guess it's going to come down to, and, and athletes and weightlifters are ultimately all biohackers they're all people yeah so trying different ooh. things looking to see what where their sweet spot is and so i think yeah. i mean so i think it bears i i think it bear mention there's going to be value for them whether it's one month every quarter or one month every six months or every to your point every two weeks like whatever that cycle is they need some and especially it may be different for a weight and a sprinter or or a hundred yard dash track star versus a a marathoner i mean but over time we will learn this two weeks ago as a guest on a podcast called wise athletes and so we talked a lot about the athletic performance and and i impressed upon them you've got to inhibit mTOR and give autophagy time to function it will improve your strength it'll improve your your ability to recover and everything will work better over time a hundred percent so let's talk a little bit about fasting because you know a while ago, I was digging a bit deeper into the world of fasting and and this whole idea of how long does it take for autophagy to kick in is still a concept that's under debate, right? Yeah. You get some yeah. people say, oh, after 12 hours, you're in autophagy. Other people are like, oh, no, after 18 hours, you're in autophagy. And so other people are like, yeah, not so fast. It depends. And so do you have any thoughts on that? Because I know that I recently posted something else about another concept and people are like, oh, all you got to do is intermittent fast and you're good, which I think intermittent fasting, to your point, is virtually magical. It fixes so many different things for people who are willing to do it. Do you have any sense of of this whole question of autophagy and how much fasting? This is just my opinion. I, I'm. This is not based on solid science, but I... I think a 16-8 program definitely activates autophagy, mm-hmm. but longer is better up yeah. to a point. We don't, um, I, I, I have experimented with doing a two-day fast and a three-day fast, and I think you get a much bigger, bigger bang for your buck when you do a longer fast like that. I don't think you should do that regularly. I, I'm doing a two- or a three-day fast maybe once every 12 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks or so. And it's it's a little difficult when you have a relationship and meals and planning so forth. Oh, yeah. So sometime if my wife has gone for a, a week on some a trip with her girlfriends or a professional trip or something, um, then when she's gone, it's easy for me to go and do a two or three day fast. And I'll say a couple of words about that. When I first, uh, last year, I, I tried this. My wife was gone for a, a conference and I tried a two-day fast, um, and I thought it would be a miserable experience, and I'd be hungry and, and struggle through it. I was astounded at how easy it was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I drink herbal tea. I drink coffee. I drink water all day long. And I realized that, for me, a lot of eating is just a habit. Yeah. Um, I, I walk into the kitchen, and I grab a handful of nuts, or I grab a piece of fruit, or something to munch on. But when I set my mind to not do that, it was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. And I did a three-day fast and had the same experience. Very easy for me. 
everybody's not going to be like that. Um, my wife can't fast. She goes into hypoglycemia very quickly when she's going for longer periods without food. So everybody's not going to be able to do longer fasts. But I think most people with a little commitment and discipline can do a 16-8 fast, Yeah, go for six, 16 hours. And there's tremendous health benefits to doing this. And and I, again, because nobody is doing this, we have this epidemic of epidemics. Health, the health of humanity is really in serious decline. 100%. It's actionable. When people understand this, hopefully the, the work I've done will give people the motivation and understand the significance of shifting their lifestyle a little bit <clears throat> to really make a difference. And although at 16, 8, Fasting protocol is not designed to be a calorie restriction weight loss diet. A lot of people do end up eating less when they condense their calories into a shorter period of time. So many people do lose weight on when they shift over to a 16-8 fasting protocol. Yeah. I mean, I've had clients who I, I typically will recommend to most people to do alternate day intermittent That's fast. another so, great yeah maybe so every other Mondays day and thursdays or, or, or some, even mondays wednesdays and fridays it depends yeah. on the person but then i had one client who started intermittent fasting and then one day a week he would go from dinner on sunday till dinner on monday and not eat anything mm-hmm. and after i want to say maybe three months he called me up and he said you are not going to believe what's happened and his cholesterol had come down, his blood pressure had normalized, he'd lost inches around his waist, like never mind losing weight. He'd lost inches around yeah. his belly, which is the visceral fat mass is lost. Yeah. Yeah. It was transformative for him. And yeah. the only thing I'm gonna say to people is if you're on a very if you're on a eating plan right now, like a typical eating plan where your blood sugar is going up and then it's going down and then it's going up and then it, you know you're the first step towards moving towards a world where you can start to stretch out the time between your meals is adopting a lower glycemic diet so that you're not riding that roller coaster. And that's probably why someone like you has such an easier time doing a one or two or three day fast because your blood sugars, your body is essentially metabolically flexible, right? Yep. And essentially what you're touching on here takes us into what I call the microbiome diet. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I try to get people to realize every time you eat, you're hosting a very large party. You're feeding a hundred trillion guests, your Mm -hmm. bacteria in your, in your microbiome. And if you don't feed them well, they're not going to thrive and survive. And a plant-based diet is primarily the foods that your microbiome needs. And that's going to be a weight loss diet for many people because they're far more bulk and fiber and less calories in a plant-based diet compared to high fat carbohydrate diets. Right. So, okay. So let's go back to rapamycin because I, this is, this is the entry point into a rabbit hole. (laughs) That's going to take us deep, deep, deep. There's okay. Here's another, there's the book. So for you guys on YouTube, you're lucky. You can actually see the cover of this book. It's called Rapamycin, the Most Promising Life Extension Drug, Rapamycin, mTOR Autophagy, and Treating mTOR Syndrome. So I've got this book, the ebook, and it's it's beautiful, easy, fast reading. I love it. But let's go back to, I have a couple more questions about Rapamycin for you. So you you mentioned how how people can order it. Sure. Um, they can order it from Life Extension. 
Uh, telephone number is 866-598-6747. If people order my book from Life Extension, they'll also get a free six-month subscription to Life Extension magazine. And the book's also available on Amazon. Yeah. One thing on Amazon that is frustrating me is Amazon has both the first edition and the second edition showing. And the only di- difference between the first and second edition that's visible is down here in the lower right-hand corner of this little turquoise area says updated second edition. Get that but one. The first edition is the first one that people see. And I'm worried that people are going to select the first one and get the first edition because the second edition here has 40% more information than the first edition. Okay. Got it. So everybody, you got that. And it's going to be in the show notes. So don't worry about running to buy, to get a pen just yet. Weight loss and rapamycin. Yeah. So can we talk about that a little bit? Because, you know, you want to get rich, tell people you, yeah. they can pop a pill and get, lose weight and boom, the, well, you know, the world is at your feet. Yeah, animal <laughs> studies um, have shown that rapamycin significantly causes weight loss. And it's, it's significant because the weight lost is visceral abdominal fat, which is... Why? How? Any I don't know the mechanism. I, I don't know the mechanism. But when nutrients are not available, the body's going to start to use fat. Yeah. And so Get you're breaking board. down fat stores. In fact, rapamycin is called a calorie restriction mimetic. Yes. It's when calories aren't available mTOR is inhibited, rapamycin inhibits mTOR. So it is really a functioning similar to calorie restriction. Mm-hmm. So some of the benefits seen, are the same. Yeah. Have you Pardon? seen, have you seen this? I mean, I know you've seen this play out in people because you yourself said that you dropped a bunch of weight um, within the first couple of months of using rapamycin, mm-hmm. but you're also intermittent fasting. So I just, the one thing I want to highlight to the audience is if you're going to start using, let's say you decide to start using rapamycin, if you don't change your eating habits and you're overeating, I would expect that probably if there's any weight loss, it would be minimal. I, I think that you. I think that to get those weight loss benefits, because people are going to glom onto this, they're going to be like, yeah. you know, and I, I, it got my attention. So I think what we have to remember and and keep in mind is rapamycin is very powerful. And it's not going to override the some of our bad habits. So right. if people are processed food, junk food junkies, rapamycin is probably not going to provide too much benefit. At least some. It's just not going to do it all. You're not going to get the full yeah. run of the benefits, you, you, right? Yeah. Like you, you just won't. But, but I, but, but it is interesting that if you're eating a reasonable diet and you're exercising and you're sleeping and you're at the very minimum, waiting 12 to 14 hours between the last meal of one day and the first meal of the next day, even if you can't make it to 16 at first, 12 to 14 for some people is an accomplishment. You might just start to see the needle move just exactly. by introducing rapamycin and, into the picture. And when you say see the needle move, I like to emphasize to people, this is again, not a miracle quick fix. But mm-hmm. So give yourself a month or two months to start looking for progress. And, but I always really encourage people to monitor how they feel when they're taking rapamycin because you can overdo it. I mean, it's possible to take too much. And some people who are also taking other types of life extension drugs and exercising regularly, intense exercise, 
um, it's possible to do too much. So balance is critical here, even with your dose of rapamycin. And I'd also like, so we could kind of evolve into a little bit of information about dosing and who should take rapamycin well, and who shouldn't and so forth. You, you uh, read my mind. That's the that's good. the next line of questioning is, but to your, so number one, what are some of the signs that a person might be doing, taking too much rapamycin that it, or what, or that the dose they're taking is too much for them? Because maybe they're doing five milligrams, but five milligrams might still be too much for them. So what would be the signs that they might observe? Is it all labs or is it that suddenly you start getting sick a lot? Like what, what's the. Um, well, immune suppression and is one thing and, and also lethargy, you tired, tiredness, weakness, mm -hmm. but it's very important. I think for people to get a baseline metabolic panel and check their labs before they start rapamycin Okay. And then track themselves over time, maybe three months after they start, get a second panel. Things you want to look for are triglycerides, iron, hemoglobin. Those things can change if you're taking too much rapamycin. And so where, how, in what direction do they go? Does the triglycerides LDL cholesterol go down can low? go up. Okay. Iron and hemoglobin can go down. Okay. And so iron and hemoglobin to go down, you get anemia, you're tired, listless, low energy. So that's why it's number one thing, track how you feel. You know, okay. if your energy is good and you're, you're really charging, then that's great. But if people start to feel like they're kind of dragging, then check those blood levels and see what's going on. But those are the main things to track in a metabolic panel to make sure that you're not overdosing. And also to to, to see the, if you're getting adequate dosing. That's another thing I'm very adamant about these days. There's a blood test for rapamycin. The generic name of the drug rapamycin is sirolimus, S-I-R-O-L-I-M-U-S. And so there is a sirolimus blood test. And I'm now telling everyone, if you don't test, you don't know. You're just guessing. Mm -hmm. I took rapamycin for over a year. When I did my blood test, I found out my plasma levels were not nearly as high as I anticipated. So now I've, I've now upped my dose to 10 milligrams a week instead of six milligrams a week. But the um, you get the lab test through LabCorp. Okay. And there's two different ways to do this. Um, you can call Life Extension and order the rapam or the serolimus blood test, and they have doctors on staff that makes it legal for them to order this prescription, um, make the order for the lab test for you. Costs ninety five dollars. Nice. And then you can uh, Life Extension will email you the lab order, and you take that to LabCorp and book your time for your blood draw. Uh, I subsequently found out that you can go to LabCorp directly and get the same lab test that you get for $95 from Life Extension for $54 directly from LabCorp. But oh. to do that, you have to have a prescription for the lab test from your physician. Okay. My physician is supportive. I've educated her about this. And so she wrote out a on her prescription pad for with my name, Sirolimus blood test standing order for one year. Wow. So I can take that to LabCorp anytime I want and get my blood draw. And <clears throat> what most people are advocating, or at least a number of us in this area, try to get your blood draw approximately 20 hours after you ingest the drug. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's too difficult to get it one hour after. I mean, you, 
you take your drug and then you have to get to lab corp and, and are you able to get in to get your blood draw? So if you do 20 hours and maybe it's only 19 or maybe it's 21 or 22 hours, but that little fluctuation at the 20 hour mark is not going to make too much difference. But if you go one or two hours difference between one hour, two hour, three hours yeah. after you ingested it, the difference is going to be huge. So yeah. doing about a 20 hour post ingestion blood draw is what most of us are doing now to track our, our blood levels. And, and what's the blood level you're looking for? Roughly about one nanogram per milliliter <clears throat> per, per milliliter of the drug. And, and so uh, I'm now, excuse me, a little frog in my throat here. <clears throat> I'm now up around, um, um, my recent dose was uh, 12 nanograms per milliliter. And I took 12 milligrams of rapamycin. Um, so I'm about in the range of getting one milligram per mil, uh, one milligram, excuse me, one nanogram per milliliter per milligram of dose of the drug. <clears throat> but I think having a plasma level of um, between seven and 12 nanograms per milliliter is a, a good range to be at. But again, I think there's vast differences in people's ability to absorb and metabolize drugs. Uh -huh. So maybe you're a fast metabolizer, maybe you're a slow metabolizer. And so I think people should at least do the blood test once sure. after you've been on it for a month or two and check and see where your absorption is. Okay. And the other thing I'm using the blood test for is I'm te testing several different brands of rapamycin to make sure that it has reliable absorption. Um, I mentioned earlier before we came on air about the Rapapro Mm -hmm. a new generic form of rapamycin. So I started ordering it and doing my blood test to make sure that it, it's giving good absorption and good plasma levels. And it is, it's very reliable. Nice. Okay. We can put a link to that in the show notes too. Next thread of this conversation. At what age should people start taking rapamycin? You would never give rapamycin to a child or even a teenager no. because mTOR is the build and grow phase. And you don't want to inhibit that during childhood, which is a rapid time of growth. Nobody knows what's the best time to start it. It may be different for different people, but I'm very comfortable recommending it for people 40, 50 years old and older. Yeah. It might be in the future that we find an obese metabolic syndrome 30 year old would mm -hmm. benefit by starting it earlier. But um, I'm comfortable with saying 30 and 40 year old people are a good time to start working on it and delaying the aging process for the rest of your life. Well, and it goes without saying that anybody who's pregnant should stay the heck off it because you're in full building mode. So also um, pregnant women should never take rapamycin that's, because yeah. that's the most yeah. rapid time of, of building a, a new human being. And uh, so that's a, another caveat and contraindication. Hey guys, before we go on with the episode, now that many of you have added nitric oxide to your daily routine and are already supporting healthy circulation, it's time to introduce some key brain ingredients to you. Berkeley Life's exciting new product that complements their nitric oxide foundation supplement. Cognitive support is centered around naturally optimizing your cognitive health. This new supplement is designed to support key brain functions like suppressing speed, psychomotor speed, sustained attention, and even composite and verbal memory. 
The best part, it's a natural stimulant-free formula that's been thoroughly researched and backed by science. When you combine cognitive support with Berkeley Life's nitric oxide foundation, you are in for an incredible cognitive boost. I love it when I need to get a bunch of work done. The two work together seamlessly to deliver essential ingredients like alpinina, galanga, sulforaphane, and lutein efficiently to the brain, enhancing cognitive performance to its full potential without any concern of caffeine crash or jitters. How do you get your hands on this? Go to berkeleylife.com and use practitioner code N-I-D-D-B-L to place your order today. And now let's get back to that episode. Now, who else shouldn't? Is there anybody else that you think should not? This is not the right that you know of that is not the right because because it's, you know, the dichotomy is in your book. You, there's a laundry list of health conditions where you you outline where some of the benefits may lie of like everything from MS to neurodegenerative diseases to cardiovascular disease, like in animal models, virtually every single age related disease responds to rapamycin therapy. Um, <clears throat> Matt Caberlion is a uh, doctor up at the university of Washington yeah. and he started the dog aging project. And their goal is to roll enroll a hundred thousand companion animals. They can, the they can have pet, my pup. Pet, pet dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. dogs age seven times faster than humans. Mm -hmm. But they get all the same diseases human gets. So they want to study aging in dogs and see what they can learn about human aging. So they're looking at every imaginable measurable parameter. How much exercise did the dog get? How do you feed it? Does it have ad lib feeding where it can eat as much as it wants out of his dog bowl? Or do you feed it once a day and that's it? And raw diet and, or crappy And the dog's diet. living in the same yeah. environment as their their human owner. So that takes that big variable out of the equation. Yeah. And then there's one arm of the dog aging trial that's a double blind placebo controlled rapamycin trial where some of the dogs are getting rapamycin and some are placebo controls. So <clears throat> that's one of the trials. But dogs um, don't know placebo. Pardon? Dogs don't know. That's why dogs and animals are the perfect subjects. But the they researchers no are giving them placebo, placebo just to, to <laughs> so, take that variable out. All right. Another trial I want to talk about is very interesting. Is a professor Gorbanova, yes. um, researcher, and uh, <clears throat> she was looking at the genes in long-lived animals. Mm -hmm. There's quite a few long-lived animals, whales and mammals and different types of rodents and humans. and Tortoises. So, so scientists have identified the genes in long-lived mammals that are associated with longevity. And so Vera Grobanova did a very unique animal study. She took mice and divided them into 10 different groups and gave them 10 different, very recognizable life extension drugs. Rapamycin was just one of them. And what she learned is that rapamycin came out on top. Rapam, out of these 10 different life extension drugs, rapamycin was the drug that had the greatest effect on activating the genes associated with maximum lifespan. And on the other side of the equation, it had the least effect on activating genes that are associated with accelerated aging. Yeah. So this is not a human clinical trial, but it really gives credibility and some explanation for how and why rapamycin works. It's activating these genes that are associated with maximum lifespan. 
Yeah, no, I I think what's also interesting about her trial, I I took a glance mm -hmm. at uh, at it, and I think it was in your book you talk about it or one of the articles. Some of the th what's notable is some of the things she compared rapamycin, and she wasn't comparing rapamycin against anything. Like right. you said, it was ten things. She wasn't she wasn't saying anything was going to work better than the other, but growth hormone is one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Caloric restriction was one, and that's really interesting because rapamycin as it's not just the caloric restriction mimetic piece of it, it must be doing other things in terms yeah. of triggering those genes <clears throat> that even supersedes caloric restriction itself. Yeah. Which, right. Which, which yep. is why yeah. possibly and methionine restriction also it beat that. So it's uh it's an interesting paper. We'll put the link. Yeah. We'll put the link to the paper in the show notes. Yeah. Also. Another piece of new information is pretty interesting is that <clears throat> They've identified another way that rapamycin works. It has to do with protein signaling and protein formation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of aging damage occurs when we get genetic damage to DNA. But they're now learning that there's a great deal of damage that occurs <clears throat> when there's missignaling of proteins and proteins don't get made correctly. And rapamycin seems to dramatically decrease the, the improper signaling and improper functioning and building of proteins. So that's another kind of a new finding about rapamycin, another way that it works to improve uh, protein synthesis. Yeah. And another topic to talk about, which I'm passionate about, uh, in the second edition of my book, I wrote a chapter on sarcopenia. Yes. And sarcopenia is the term that stands for the loss of muscle mass and strength as we age. It's one of the hallmarks of aging, loss of muscle mass and strength. <clears throat> it turns out there's three things that can people can do to influence sarcopenia, to slow down this process. One is weight training, most incredibly effective. Second is diet. And the third is rapamycin. Which doesn't I've... make sense. So let's <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> yeah. That I spent a lot of time on this dietary factor and proteins, mm -hmm. because what we've learned is that there's two things that are in balance with proteins. There's muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein degradation. So these two things have to be in balance. And when they're in balance, you're rebuilding new proteins at about the same rate as you're breaking down. There's this turnover. But as we age, if this is protein degradation. It stays the same, but our ability to synthesize new protein declines. And so then you end up with a deficit of faster protein degradation. You're losing muscle mass and strength. But scientific studies have determined that if you supplement with excess protein, you can override this effect and prevent this from happening. The problem with diet in the elderly is that as people age, they generally eat less food. Yep. And so if we think about protein, instead of eating less protein, they should be eating more protein. And the other thing I've emphasized in my book is that it, the U United States recommended daily allowance for protein is way too low. It's 100%. terrible. So yeah. the, the, the bar is set too low. It's like the minimum daily allowance. 
I yeah. mean, that's what the, the, the recommended daily allowance is really the minimum daily allowance. It's like vitamin C, the, the RDA 60 milligrams. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the minimum amount that you need to prevent scurvy. I'm not yeah. interested in minimal health. I want optimal health. So with RDA, with protein, it's way too low. The RDA should be higher and elderly people should be consuming even more protein to offset this as we age, you lose the ability to for protein muscle protein synthesis, and you can compensate and overcome that. Yeah. And then rapamycin again is the other factor that really ties in here because rapamycin is going to help to break down these old dysfunctional proteins and allow your body to replace it with healthy new proteins. Nice. Um, actually, one of the hacks I found works really well with elderly people is because they also very often don't have as much appetite maybe because they're not exercising as much or, you know, their digestive capacity sometimes is not the best. I found that, and I've gotten my parents to do this now, finally, took me forever to figure it out, is essential amino acids. Getting them to take essential amino acids. I mean, they don't get the calories from it and they need the calories, but at the same time, just getting those essential amino acids in and more than you think. It's not just one portion. You want to take three or four portions of these a day helps to rebalance that that well and one of the things i've a new thing that i've instituted in in my protocol since i studied this deeply and wrote this chapter on sarcopenia um after i do my strength training at the gym i come home and i do a fruit smoothie with whey protein yeah get an extra dose of protein so that your body has that extra protein to use when it's starting to rebuild the yep. new muscle tissue that you've torn down during intense physical exercise. A hundred percent. The medication that is produced, the rapamycin drug that is produced by the drug company, you talk about this in your book, is what is it? $3,000 for a couple That's, of months worth of pills? Yeah. Which when, is, I, cool. when I took my original <laughs> prescription to my local drugstore, pharmacist looked it up and said, yeah, it's available, but I'm not going to order it for you. It costs three to four thousand dollars for a bottle of pills, and I'm just going to get a few pills filled in my prescription. He's going to have a tremendous amount of inventory tied up that's not turning over for him. But I took my prescription to one of the big chain drug stores, and they don't have such tight inventory controls. And so I get my prescription filled on a regular basis, and I get it for a twenty dollar copay on my insurance. It's an FDA approved drug. So many people that have insurance can get it covered on their insurance program for a, a reasonable copay. Um, really? <clears throat> many people can't find a doctor who will write a rapamycin prescription for them. Mm-hmm. So we talked about earlier, most doctors know, first, a lot of doctors don't know about it. Those that do know it are knowing it for organ transplant rejection or chemotherapy. Most doctors aren't aware of rapamycin as a life extension drug. So you have to educate your doctor. But many doctors are in clinical practices where they have standard of practice guidelines they have to adhere to. So a lot of people have difficulty finding a physician who write them a prescription. There are some doctors who are doing telemedicine visits for rapamycin prescriptions. So that's one avenue open to people. Oh, nice. And secondly, is this new generic form of rapamycin called Rapapro. All right, so we have we have about 20 minutes left before you have to take mm-hmm. off. 
maybe we want to touch on the topic of our next podcast and just kind of dip our toe into the world of the microbiome. Because as you say in the book, and you've said a couple of times before, rapamycin is amazing and magical, but there's more to the story. This is the booklet, Dr. Rohira's Probiotics and Postbiotic Metabolites. Yeah. People can get the PDF copy of this for free by going to naturalpharmacist.net forward slash O'Hara book. And that's O-H-H-I-R-A-B-O-O-K. Okay. So we're, we're going to put that in the um, show notes. Yeah. In the show notes, Dr. O'Hara's yep. book. So I'm introducing people to the concept of postbiotic metabolites. And I need to explain that here. Um, and I want to show one more picture. These are the large 80-gallon fermentation vats in the sterile warehouse in southern Japan. Wow. They okay. use dozens of different types of organically grown food. Japanese fruits and vegetables and mushrooms and seaweeds are put into these vats, and then 12 starter strains of bacteria, and then the bacteria are allowed to digest and ferment the components in the food for three years before the product is finished and encapsulated. And during that time... The bacteria are breaking down the components in food and forming secondary compounds that we call postbiotic metabolites. And these are the compounds that are master health regulating compounds for your entire body. It's not the bacteria, it's the compounds that bacteria create. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to educate the world about is really what I call a new frontier in microbiome science. How does this whole digestive system work? Well, the primary job of your probiotic bacteria is to digest food components and create these secondary compounds that have a wide range of biological activity. These are the compounds, the postbiotic metabolites, that regulate not just your gut microbiome ecosystem, but also they get absorbed into your system and they influence and regulate every single organ system in your body, especially your brain and your immune system. So again, it's, it's not the bacteria it's the compounds they create, these postbiotic metabolites. So how do bacteria create these postbiotic metabolites? You have to learn how to feed your probiotic bacteria well, or they won't thrive and survive. What do they eat? The two primary food groups for your probiotic bacteria are dietary fibers and compounds called polyphenols. There are over 8,000 polyphenols that have been structurally identified. They're the compounds that give color to fruits and vegetables. So basically, a microbiome diet is a plant-based diet that gives dietary fibers and polyphenols. And critical factor here that a lot of people overlook is diversity. Diversity, mm -hmm. diversity, diversity. All ecosystems are more resilient and stronger if they have greater diversity the Amazon rainforest, the coral reefs in the ocean, the microbiome in your gut. So when I'm talking the gut microbiome and diversity, what do I mean? Well, a healthy microbiome has anywhere from probably 800 to 1,000 different species of bacteria. Those bacteria require different types of food. So you have to consume a diverse range of different types of food to give them different types of fiber and different types of polyphenols. So the diverse, that'll support the growth of the diverse range of bacteria so they can produce a diverse range 
of the postbiotic metabolites. So this is why diet is so critical for a healthy microbiome, because people have a total misunderstanding about commercial probiotic products. Mm-hmm. Taking these high-dose probiotics is going to solve their gastrointestinal systems. It does not. And, and that's I'm not saying that nobody gets any help from them, but it's certainly not the best and most efficient way to do it. Because if people take commercial probiotics, those bacteria have to survive, transit through the harsh acid environment in the stomach. And the acidity in the stomach is anywhere from 10,000 to 100,000 times stronger acid than the pH in the small intestine and the colon. Mm-hmm. That strong acid in the stomach is designed to kill everything that goes in the mouth. That's the front line of our defense and our immune system. Yeah. If bacteria are enteric coated and get through the stomach, when they get to the colon, they have to locate dietary fibers and polyphenols and start the process of converting them into the postbiotic metabolite. That all takes time. And the second thing I point out is that I've got multiple studies that report that from 90 to 95% of children and adults in America, probably in Canada too, do not consume adequate amounts of dietary fibers and polyphenols. So almost nobody is feeding their gut microbiome optimally. So everybody's got gut problems. And we know how bad inflammation is for aging. Chronic inflammation is in fact, they now created a new term, inflammaging. Yeah, it's one of the hallmarks of aging. Inflammation to the aging process. Yeah. The primary site of inflammation is the gut microbiome. And that happens when you have microbial imbalance. Too many bad bacteria, not enough good bacteria. Why are the bad bacteria bad? Because they create substances that are irritating and inflammatory. And so you have to have this balance between good and bad. And in the gut microbiome, a healthy balance is about 85 to 90% good bacteria, only 10 to 15% bad bacteria. Everybody has some potentially harmful bacteria, but when they only exist in small numbers, they do not cause problems. So it's microbial balance that causes inflammation. The term is dysbiosis. And why this now links to the aging process. And I've, I've written about this in a paper that was published in a scientific journal titled The Microbiome Theory of Aging. I'll mm-hmm. give you that link so you can post it in the show notes. But in that paper, I connect the dots and explain to people why and how a bad diet leads to inflammation in the gut, which leads to the breakdown of the tight junctions and the epithelial cells that line your intestinal system, opens them up and you get leaky gut or intestinal permeability. That allows toxins to leak into your system, especially compounds that call called lipopolysaccharides or LPS, might yeah. be a new term for many of our viewers, but lipopolysaccharides are compounds that exist on the cell membranes of many bacteria that are in the intestinal tract. Everybody has them. They're supposed to stay in the intestinal tract and get eliminated in your bowel movements. But if you have leaky gut, these lipopolysaccharides leak into systemic circulation. They are highly inflammatory and they accelerate tissue and organ damage over time and accelerate biological aging. Now, I want to emphasize how damaging these lipopolysaccharides are. There's a study that was done with healthy individuals 
It's called the double-blind placebo-controlled crossover trial. Mm -hmm. starts out one group is the placebo, one group is getting injected lipopolysaccharides, a low dose, so low, nobody's aware of any symptoms. After a certain period, there's a washout period, and they reverse the period that the group that were the placebo group in the first part of the trial then get injected with low-dose lipopolysaccharides, and the other group is a placebo. So at the end of the trial, everybody has received low-dose injectable lipopolysaccharides either in the first or second phase of the trial. But again, the doses were slow, low. Nobody had any symptoms. They were not aware of having any lipopolysaccharide being injected. But when the scientists evaluated the blood group, uh, blood group uh, blood, the, the blood parameters, Lipopolysaccharides caused a 25-fold increase in plasma levels of tumor necrosis alpha and a 100-fold increase in interleukin-6. These are highly inflammatory markers, and people had no idea they had inflammation. So this is showing how people in a bad diet, microbial imbalance, dysbiosis, are having intestinal permeability, leaky gut, and accelerated system-wide inflammation that's accelerated in their aging process, even though they're not aware of it. This emphasizes how important it is to create and maintain a healthy gut microbiome. And Dr. O'Hara's probiotics is the best probiotic in the world because after that multi-year fermentation system in those fermentation vats, the final product contains over 500 of these postbiotic metabolites. So postbiotic metabolites have a wide range of different activities. Some of them are directly anti-inflammatory. Some of them kill or inhibit the growth of pathogens. Many postbiotic metabolites are weakly acidic compounds. There's short-chain fatty acids, propionic acid, lactic acid, butyric acid. There's organic acids, there's amino acids, there's nucleic acids, there's fulvic acids. All of these acidic compounds work to create the acid-base balance in the intestinal tract that's optimal to support the growth and proliferation of your good bacteria, and it suppresses the growth of bad bacteria. A healthy microbiome has a slightly acidic acid-base balance. When you become dysbiotic, microbial imbalance, the acid-base balance shifts anywhere from 10 to 100 times to alkaline. You've mm. got to get back down to that slightly acidic level. And the things that do that for you are these slightly acidic postbiotic metabolites. And if you're not consuming a plant-based diet, your bacteria are not able to produce these postbiotic metabolites in adequate numbers. But Dr. O'Hears is directly delivering it. So Dr. O'Hears is the fastest way to institute positive changes in the gut microbiome and help to turn that all around if people do have gut problems. But again, the emphasis, you still have to consume a plant-based diet. Otherwise, Dr. is even going to be minimally effective. So when you say plant-based diet? Not vegan, no. Okay, so you're, so you're saying- Primarily a plant-based diet, but people need to eat healthy protein. Okay, good, okay, good. Fat. We're on the same page, good. <laughs> It has to be grass-fed and grass-finished beef 100%. and wild-caught fish and cage-free chicken. But yes, people need healthy fats and healthy proteins, but people need to get off the high-dose carbohydrates, especially yeah. the processed carbohydrates and the sugar. It has to be a plant-based diet. Gotcha. I've got an eight-minute YouTube video called Ross's Salad Buzz. 
Okay. And so I'll give that to you so that everybody can watch it. But in this process, this is my bi- microbiome salad. I've got 16 different types of vegetables in my salad. So nice. it's diversity. And what I do is I process all my vegetables. It takes about 20 minutes or so. You can use a food processor or just do it by hand. And then the secret to my salad buzz is after I get all of this prepared in a big bowl, I squeeze a lemon and the lemon juice from the lemon provides vitamin C, which is an antioxidant, which protects it. So I toss my salad buzz. It keeps in a big Tupperware for up to a week. This is also a tremendous time saver. Mm-hmm. So four or five nights a week, the main meal for my wife and myself is a big salad. I go to the refrigerator. I pull out the Tupperware with my salad buzz, a bag with my lettuce licks, which has got mixed with four different types of lettuce, two bowls, a handful of lettuce, a handful of buzz, some wild-caught salmon or some garbanzo beans and feta cheese for protein. It takes two minutes to fit supper, and you've got it made for a whole week. So yeah. it's the healthiest type of, of a meal for your microbiome, and it's a time saver. and there you go. I'll there you go. The, you got to do the work. You got to feed feed your guests, right? So it's interesting about this postbiotic because have you ever heard of a of a product called Ars Kosu? No. Actually, I'll send you a link to it. It's it's interesting. They it's also from Japan, and it's also fermented from a whole bunch of fruits and vegetables and seaweeds, and but oh. it's in a bottle. It's a liquid, oh, okay. and you drink. The idea is you drink a little shot of it every day. And I, I think it's, it may not be as potent as Dr. O'Hara's probiotic, but the, the concept is similar in that it's a fermentation process. Another comment about commercial probiotics. Yeah. People saying this ain't more is better. Mine's got 50 billion. Mine's got 100 billion. Mine's got 200 billion. Balance and diversity are critical. And when you take these high-dose probiotics, you're throwing things out of balance and you're losing diversity. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with prebiotics. A lot of companies are starting to put prebiotics in so they can get that on the label. And, and some people say, well, I take psyllium or I take fructolingiosaccharides. That's just one type of fiber. Diversity, diversity, diversity. You don't want to take massive doses of one type of fiber. You want to get a little bit of a lot of different types. So yeah. I try to educate people about the importance of consuming a little bit of as many different types of food every day as you can to get this diversity of the fibers and polyphenols that feed your gut microbiome. So the so the video is, what's the video called? Um, the video, people can find my video by just doing a Google search for Ross Salad Buzz. Or maybe put the word YouTube in there also. It's an eight-minute YouTube video, Ross Salad Buzz. All right. I'm always down for the, the big salad. I'm, I love Good. that. Okay, well, sir, I think we're going to gracefully wrap up now so that we have time to say a proper goodbye. You can give people a few extra links of where to find you. We can remind people where to get the book. And then we will, you have a lot of other topics that uh, we want to explore together. So we will have to. We can have another another date. date. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, Ross, where can people find you? And my personal website is naturalpharmacist.net. Yeah. And remember, they can get a free copy of the book, Dr. Here's Probiotics and Postbiotic Metabolites, by going to naturalpharmacist.net forward slash O'Hara book. And my book can be ordered from Life Extension at 866-598-6747. And people can learn more and actually order 
uh, Dr. Here's Probiotics by going to EssentialFormulas.com. Um, they're also available on Amazon. Um, I forgot to mention that after the three-year fermentation process, there's also a professional formula that gets two additional year, uh, years of anaerobic fermentation. So there's two different Dr. Here's products. Okay. And is there, should people, is there a reason why someone shouldn't take the professional strength one or is it just anybody can take it as you probably know when an infant is born c-section they don't get exposure to the mother's microbiome in the vaginal delivery so i encourage mothers to take a doctor here's bite it squeeze the paste out in their finger and put it around in the infant mouth so the infant can start to build a healthy microbiome people say how long or how early can kids start to take doctor here's as soon as they can comfortably swallow a capsule okay all right. Or you can probably just squish the the ingredients in some food that's not heated up. And, uh, and it's a it's a revolutionary product. There's nothing like it in the world. You mentioned there was one product in Japan that might be a competitor. I want to learn about it. Yeah, I don't know that. My guess is it's not as potent, right? My guess is maybe it's not encapsulated. So maybe it's kind of like. A, I'm sure they don't do three to five years of fermentation. Yeah, I don't, I don't, again, I'm not sure. It's just, it just brought to mind as you were talking about it. And then when I saw the vat of dark stuff, cause it's also dark, but interesting that it's also coming from Japan. So, and they talk about it being some kind of, um, of a, um, like a traditional recipe. Well, the fermentation vats that I showed in the picture are really an external fermentation process that mimics the natural fermentation that goes on in the gut microbiome. So Dr. Ahira is, the visionary microbiologist that created this external system that really mimics what nature is doing in the body. Very cool. All right. Well, Ross, Dr. Ross Pelton, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I had a lot of fun talking with you and uh, look forward to our next date. Likewise. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.